can you walk and chew gum at the same time? How many of you are having a hard time doing two things at once these days? Well, if you can't chew gum and walk at the same time, then you shouldn't even think about walking and texting. Because it's risky business. I, was, uh, I came across some statistics this uh, week. 60% of people in this one particular study that was done by Stony Brook University, 60 people, 60% of people who were walking and texting at the same time veered off course. Have you ever done this? Uh, this afternoon, my daughter and I were in the gym working out, and I'm standing there waiting for her, and uh, I'm kind of standing like on the edge of a walkway, and sure enough, this dude's texting, and he nearly walked right into me. Um, this is what happens. Have you ever walked into something? Uh, have you found yourself maybe falling or tripping over something, texting? Um, studies done by Ohio State University have shown a definite increase year on year of texting, walking, accidents, and injuries, with the numbers of injuries doubling over a five-year period. One uh, research found that over a decade's time, Texting and walking has caused more than 11,000 injuries. <laughs> 11,000 injuries. Accidents have included people falling onto subway tracks. Have you seen this? Go to you. Don't do it now, but go to YouTube. You can see videos about this. Guys, people falling onto the subway tracks, falling downstairs, walking into poles and walls and doors, walking directly out into traffic. Um, one guy walked off a bridge while texting. Yeah, it's dangerous stuff. What's the solution? Yeah, put down the phone, put down the distractions so that you can look where you're going and in doing so, avoid all the dangers in front of you. Well, as we jump into our series uh, tonight, Refocus, Fixing Our Eyes on Jesus, we've been looking at these concepts of seeing and, and uh fixing our eyes, and it shows us that as followers of Jesus, our attention is to be solely on Christ while combating the many distractions that would keep our eyes and our minds, our, our lives focused on other things. Well, tonight our text comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. Uh, Solomon, the wisest man to ever have lived, describes the power of what we look to and focus on. Notice with me, follow along as I read. This is Proverbs chapter 4, beginning to verse number 23. He writes, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes, verse 25, look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Now, if you're familiar with these early chapters of the book of Proverbs, you know that it's framed as a father giving instruction to his son. Uh, perhaps Solomon is actually the son in these Proverbs. Perhaps it's King David who who has given this instruction to Solomon, and Solomon simply recording. In fact, he frames the entire book, the beginning of this book this way. If you go back to chapter 1, verse number 1, he writes, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. I think there's a really good chance 
that, that the father that we're reading about is King David speaking to Solomon. By the time you get to chapter 10, it then says the Proverbs of Solomon and it kind of marks it off. It kind of uh, separates the first nine chapters from chapters 10 and following. Well, as the father speaks to his son, his big concern is that his son will take the right path in life. That he will walk in the way of wisdom. That he will walk in the way of righteousness while pointing out some distractions and dangers that he's going to face along the way. If you've read these chapters, you're familiar with what I'm talking about. We're going to glance at it here a little bit. But in the context here, David, if, if he's the dad here, we'll say for tonight that he is, David tells his son about these two basic paths in life. The first path, if you go back to verse number 18, is the path of righteousness. This is the way of wisdom. This is the path uh, as he says here in these verses, that shines brighter and brighter until midday. Picture that, right? Have you gone out for a walk early in the morning and the sun is just coming up over the mountains? This time it's about 7 o'clock in the morning and there's just this beautiful, we live up uh, on, in Cross River and when I take my daughter to school that you can see the sun behind the mountains and it's just a beautiful orange, right? And it's still kind of dark, but what happens as the sun comes up, it gets brighter and brighter. Well, this is how he describes the path of righteousness, the way of wisdom. The longer you walk in God's ways, the longer you walk in God's wisdom, the brighter things become, the brighter, the, the clearer it is to see, right? Life becomes more colorful as you walk in the ways of the Lord, as you walk in his righteousness, as you fix your eyes and walk in the light with Jesus, your way becomes brighter, clear as you go. Those that walk in the path of righteousness, David says in verse number 10, live many years without stumbling. Now, you always have to remember when you read the book of Proverbs, Proverbs are not promises. They're possibilities. Write that down maybe on the beginning of, of the book of Proverbs. Because sometimes people read the book of Proverbs and they read them as promises. But they're possibilities as if if you walk the path of righteousness, if you walk in the way of wisdom, the possibility of these things actually happening are greater for you than if you don't. And what David says to his son is, look, if you walk in the path of righteousness, you'll, you're going to live a long time. Why? It just makes sense. You're not going to get yourself into trouble doing things that could shorten your life. Well, there's another path. And it's the opposite. It's diametrically opposed to the, the way of the path of righteousness, and that is in verse number 19, the way of the wicked. And, and David compares it as he speaks to his son to uh, this path that is like the darkest gloom, he says. It's a dark and dangerous path through life. It's filled with pitfalls of all sorts. In fact, he says that, that those who take this path don't know what makes them stumble. In other words, there are these hidden dangers and there's such darkness in their life that they stumble and fall and trip over all sorts of things and they're not even sure what it is. But the picture is of, of just constant failure and the, the, the picture is that they, they just continually have this heart to do evil to the point they're so consumed with it that they, they can't even rest until they have done 
something that is evil. Well, the father says to his son in verses 14 and 15 that this path is to be avoided. This is the path to run from. Don't go down this path, he says to his son. Why? Because this dad loves his boy. You have kids. You don't want to see your kids go down this path. I can remember my parents teaching me the same sort of things, right? They don't, they don't want to see me go down the wrong path. They wanted me to take the right path, like every father would want for his children. And no doubt, David is speaking from some personal experience. He's speaking from observation, right? He's seen this. He's walked down at times. He's gotten off the right path, and, and as we'll see, he's gotten on the wrong path in life. So he's speaking from experience. He's speaking from what he's observed as he has walked through life. Listen to his plea. Look at verse 10. Listen, my son, accept my words, and you will live many years. I am teaching you the way of wisdom. I am guiding you on straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Skip down to verse 20. He says, my son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. You see the words he uses there? Listen closely. He says, pay attention, accept my words, don't lose sight of them. Keep these words in your heart. And so what it seems to me, church, is that what David is instructing Solomon is that if Solomon was going to walk the right path in life and he was going to stay on that path, it wasn't going to happen by accident. It wasn't going to happen by default, right? Look, just because you've, you grew up in a Christian home, as some of you have, as I had the opportunity, uh, just because you, you come to church, as, as we do, as we have, just because we hear sermons, as, as we are, just because we follow Jesus, as I, I hope that we are, there remains distractions ahead as we live life, as we walk the path of, of life that can draw us off course there are hidden dangers that can trip us up and ultimately can hurt us if we're not careful to fix our eyes, keep our eyes looking to Christ, fixed on him each and every moment of the day. So the big idea tonight as we think about this idea of looking where we're going. Here's our big idea. To walk with Christ is to constantly battle distraction that would keep us from focusing on him. Constantly battling distraction. So for the remainder of our time, I, I just want us to see what David says to his son here about staying on the right path. He gives him a, what I, what I can see here is a, is a how-to, like a, a way in which to go a, about this, using this metaphor of walking on a, a path, this path of righteousness, how to walk it, how to stay on it. He talks about your guard, he talks about your gaze, and he talks about your going. So let's look at those as we go through this. Number one, he talks about your guard. And here's the principle. It's here on the screen. What your heart loves, your eyes will see. What your heart loves, your eyes will see. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed it? When you love something, your eyes are drawn 
to it. Whatever you have a desire for, it's easy for you to spot. Guys, do you love classic cars? Do you love classic cars? I mean, look, I bet that you can spot, if you love classic cars, I bet you can spot one a mile away, right? You can be driving down the road, and it can be three streets over, you know, up across the desert, but you, you can spot it over there. It catches your eye in an instant, and it gets 100% of your attention, man, as that thing goes by. Do you love dogs? Can't help but look at them, right? Maybe you identified the breed and admire their coat. I, I walk my dog mostly every day, and I can tell you that there are people who wouldn't give me a moment's notice, but they notice my dog. I, I was out this week, and I was walking down this particular street, and, and as I'm walking, it's, I'm on the sidewalk. It's, in, it's actually in the neighborhood. A lot of times I walk around the neighborhood, but I was in the neighborhood, and I'm walking, and as, as I'm, I walk past some shrubs, and I walk, I'm now in front of this house, and this man is walking out of his door. He's like, oh, that is a, that is a beautiful dog. What a pretty dog. And at, just as he said that, his wife walked through the RV gate. And it's almost as if she, you know, she was taken back at the beauty of our dog, Abby. She just, you know, her, her breathing picked, she was just couldn't believe. And, and how she expressed that um, to me, what a pretty, pretty dog. Well, I can tell you this, they, that couple, they love dogs. Me, I love coffee. You know? So when I'm driving through town, I can pass these, you know, little shopping centers and, you know, they have nail salons and they have all sorts of dentist offices, blah, 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 blah. I'm so sick of seeing all of those kind of places and they don't catch my attention at all. But you know what? I will see, I will pick out of there a little hole-in-the-wall coffee shop. And that gets my attention, you know? Uh, I, this week I was downtown Phoenix uh, for an appointment early I guess it was uh, Thursday morning, I guess it was, and, and I had my computer with me, and I, I wanted to get down there. Was, I wanted to beat rush hour so I could be down there for my appointment. And, and while I was, uh, I, got into, I got in there, I parked my car, and, you know, it didn't take me very long. I spotted a coffee shop, and I walked in there, this cool little, just tiny little place um, near, near uh, just right, right downtown, Serafina Coffee Bar, I think it's called, and I just had the, the grandest time. Why? Because the eyes will see what the heart loves. The heart will see what the, what, the, what the heart loves. So pay attention to the instruction of David that he gives his son here, right? What does he say in verse 23? Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Guard your heart above all else. Doesn't that jump out? For it is the source of life. Above all else, communicates priority. Uh, uh, the source of life communicates absolute necessity. <laughs> you can't live without this thing. This is most valuable. And so David is identifying guarding the heart is more important than anything else in life. You know, I wonder, we're so diligent to guard our identity. We're so... 
We're so diligent to guard our bank accounts, right, and all the passwords and, and now the two-step verifications. I mean, there's so many. At times, I want to pull my hair out with all the different, you know, things to guard my account. I'm glad they're guarding my accounts, but it drives me crazy sometimes. And I wonder if we work so hard at guarding the things of this life, but we totally leave our heart unguarded. You see, if our heart goes astray, Everything else begins to unravel. He's not talking about our physical heart here, right? He's not saying wear body armor. He's talking about our inner man. He's talking about our inner desires, who we really are, who you really are, and what you really want. And if that heart of yours, that heart of mine goes astray, everything else in life begins to unravel. When your heart goes astray, we hear it today, right? Follow your heart. When you follow your heart, you know what it means? It means you've just given up following Jesus. I mean, it's, it's really what it means. You're following your own heart. Over and over in the scripture, we are instructed about our heart. Jesus declares that we should love the Lord our God with what? All of our heart. When describing the kingdom of God, Jesus revealed the things that come out of the heart defile a man. He also taught that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. The apostle Paul prayed for the saints that the lights, uh, excuse me, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in Ephesians. We find similar instruction in the Old Testament where we're commanded to trust the Lord with what? All of our heart. Yeah. The prophet Samuel revealed that God does not evaluate people by outward appearance, but by what? He looks at the heart. Perhaps the most significant verse describing the treasure of the heart is found in Romans 10.9, where it tells us that a person is saved by believing in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. So the heart is the heart of the matter when it comes to following Jesus. If we're going to fix our eyes straight ahead, as David tells Solomon, if we're going to stay on the right path, it begins with our heart. You know, if we don't guard our heart, what happens is we become a prey to those old man desires. What we desired and what we did before we were saved, before Jesus came into our life and we began to follow him. One of the very first symptoms of an unguarded heart is the very next verse back in our text. David says, guard your heart above all else for it's the source of life. Verse 24, don't let your mouth speak dishonestly. Don't let your lips talk deviously. What is in the heart ultimately comes out in our words. It comes out of our, our heart. Jesus says the mouth speaks of the overflow of the heart. Someone put it like this. What is in the well of the heart will come up through the bucket of the mouth. All right? So if you want to know what's going on in your heart, watch your words. And that will... That will Double back, and that will show you what's going on in your heart. So guarding your mouth is really about guarding your heart. If the, if the fountain is pure, the stream that flows out of the fountain will be what? Pure. 
If the fountain is impure, well, well, where's that coming from? It means that the heart is impure. What do you do with an impure fountain? You have to remove the impurities. I think we have two prayers in the Bible that we need to pray in regard to our heart. The first one here on the screen is Psalm 139, 23. You know these verses, right? David prays, search me, God, and know my heart. Does God know our heart? Better believe it. We don't even have to ask him. He does. But by asking him, by saying, Lord, would you search my heart? What are we doing? We're giving permission. We're, we're allowing God to turn the light on. We're allowing God to do this examination. And what we're expecting is what? When you go to the doctor for an examination, what are you expecting? I don't know about you, but when I go to the doctor, I'm expecting like them to get after me for something. <laughs> uh, like, like, well, you need to be doing this or you need to be taking that, you know? Um, it, when you go in for an examination, you're expecting to be examined and you're, you're expecting for the doctor to give you some type of report. Well, when we ask God to search our heart, He'll give us a report. Has your heart been defiled by sin? Have you set your affections on things of this world? Do you love the Lord with all of your heart or have you lost your first love? Ask God to search your heart and he'll show you what he finds and then confess it and turn your heart back to the Lord. David prayed, Psalm 51.10, God, create a clean heart for me. David, after getting off the wrong path of righteousness and walking the path of wickedness for a while, we'll explore that in a minute, David needed God to cleanse his heart and to create in him a right heart, right? Again, and we've all been there, haven't we? I know we're sitting in church, but yeah, we, we've all been there. Praise God he answered David's prayer. Praise God that, that he'll do the same for you and for, for me, when we turn our heart back to the Lord. So guarding your heart is the most important thing you can do. But guarding your heart is not necessarily about avoiding sin as much as it is about feeding your soul. Look what David says in verse 20. He says, this is Proverbs 4.20, My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about God's words. God's words are the words of life. God's words bring us life. They're light to us. They, they feed and they nourish our soul. They help us know wrong from right. Uh, God's words help us uh, by rebuking us when we're wrong and helping us to know how to continue, how to get on the right path and how to stay on the right path. It guides us in that way. But most importantly, God's word will do this. It will increase your love for Jesus Christ. And what your heart loves, what happens? Your eyes will see. Your eyes will see you will be locked on Christ when you love him. And this is the struggle because we get distracted and our affections get pulled away from the Lord. But when we look to him and we love him with all of our heart, our eyes are locked on him. So to stay in the right path of life, what should we do? First, we guard our heart. Second, 
David speaks of your gaze, and here's the, the principle here. Number two, our, our gaze, he says this. Here's the principle. What you fix your eyes on is your choice. While we see what the heart loves and desires, there's always the possibility of distraction. David says in verse 25, let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. So the words there, let your eyes look forward, it means to set your eyes on something, to set your eyes in a certain direction in order to see something. The uh, adverbial phrase there, straight ahead, it assumes this, it assumes that the path straight ahead is the right path. It assumes that the son is walking on the path of righteousness and therefore he's to aim his concentration, his gaze straight ahead in the way of wisdom. So the idea is walking with this single focus, with this single purpose, with undivided attention, not turning aside to the, the left or right, not being distracted from living wisely by the various attract, attractive possibilities in our peripheral vision, but walking straight ahead. And here's the challenge we face. The challenge we face is that our eyes are always on this search for new stimuli. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20 says, people's eyes are never satisfied. Never satisfied. We are bombarded, aren't we? Constantly. Through media, with this constant flow that, uh, of new stimuli that is meant to arouse just our primal human desires. This is what commercials are about. This is I mean, it's all, it's, we're constantly bombarded with this every moment, seemingly because we have this device in our hand that we can walk into walls while we're so distracted looking at it, right? Someone wrote this. He said, we live in a highly distracting world where our attention is acutely targeted, excuse me, where our attention is an acutely targeted commodity, and the temptation for diversion lurks closer than ever before. In our back pockets, there it is right there. Just, I wasn't planning that, but it's right there in my back pocket. It's in our hands, strapped to our wrists. In addition, we have an ever-increasing uh, buffet of media outlets, commentators of every kind, and social networks with finely tuned uh, algorithms poised to serve up both a timely and an endless feed for any appetite. In chapter 17 and verse 24, it says that the wise and discerning concentrate on wisdom, but a fool's eyes roam to the ends of the earth. So here's the point. We can get ourselves into trouble simply because of what we put before our eyes. Satan uh, Lilith Trotter wrote in the article Focus, wrote this. She said, and Satan knows well the power of concentration. If a soul is likely to get under the sway of the inspiration, this one thing I do, he, Satan, will turn all his energies to bring inside interests that will shatter the gathering intensity. I mean, just think about some illustrations from the Bible. The first one here is Eve, right? Eve fell after she looked at forbidden fruit. What was Satan's strategy? 
It was simply to persuade her to look. That's where it began. And he succeeded in getting her to fix her attention on the forbidden fruit. How desirable it appeared. And the longer she looked, the more her desire, what? It grew. The longer she looked, the more her desire grew. And the longer that she looked, the more difficult it was for her to tear herself away from the object of her sight. And soon she lost all sense of proportion. Soon she forgets about her husband. Soon she forgets about God's warning of sure and, and, and certain judgment. And the tree and the fruit was all that she could see. And her fall began with a look. King David, here's the the father giving this instruction in Proverbs to his son. King David fell after he looked at Bathsheba from his rooftop as she bathed. Her beauty caught his eye. The the chance of, of sighting a beautiful woman even in her state of undress, was hardly a crime. But what should he have done? Gary did it back there. He turned his head. He, he should have averted his eyes, right? He should have walked away. He should have gone on with something else. He shouldn't have looked and fostered those thoughts of, of lust. He, he could have listened to his servants who, when he asked, hey, who is that? His servant said, that's the wife of Uriah. She's married, David. He should have listened. He should have heeded that warning, but he sent for her anyway. He gave in to his lust and suffered the consequences for it. It all began with a look. Achan, Joshua chapter 7, he, he fell after he looked at some garments 200 shekels of silver and some gold in Jericho. It was beautiful. It was valuable. He, here's a guy who had been wandering around the wilderness for, for 40 years, you know. Probably uh, grew up as a, a slave in Egypt. What has this guy ever had? And here he is in Egypt, the first city to be conquered. And man, what, whoa, I just hit the jackpot. There was no sin in seeing it. But God had said that these treasures were to be put into his treasury. In fact, if he had waited the very next city, God said, take all the spoil you want. If he had just waited, if he would have given God the first fruits of all of their victories, then all would have been fine. But he saw it, he wanted it, he took it, he hid it under his tent and suffered such terrible consequences because of it. It all began with a look. A lot The last illustration I'll give you, his demise came after a look. Remember, Abraham took him up to this this, this, uh, high mountain or whatever and showed him the the, the valleys, the the plain there, and and he looked down and he saw the the plains were well watered. That'd be great for his flocks. And he made what he thought to be just a good business decision. And yet, when it came time for God to judge Sodom, it took some angels dragging Lot and his wife and his, 
his two daughters out of the city. You could take them out of the out of Sodom, but you couldn't get Sodom out of them. And Lot suffered the consequences of his wife and his daughters and all that happened. You know, you can't see to the end of a, cro- a crooked way, can you? You can't. When the road bends, you, you can't see it. One of the things I love about living here as opposed to back in the, back in the East Coast where we were from, you can see. You know, you got to... You can almost see the horizon in, in many places. You don't have all these trees. You can drive for hours and never see more than the trees right on the edge of the road, and that's all you can see. I love that you can see beyond it. When, when, when you're driving on a crooked road, you can't see very far. You can only see part of the way to the next twist, to the, to the next turn. When you're on the wrong path, nobody dares to think beyond the next twist or turn. Nobody dares to look very far, right? Why? Because the consequences at the far end of that are terrible. Who wants to see that far? We don't want to see it. And oftentimes when we, t- when we choose the wrong way, when we pursue the path of evil, if we, have only be, if we could only be forced to gaze into the dreaded abyss, which is the only possible end of an evil path, wouldn't we wisely change our way? The way of transgressors is hard itself, but it is the hardest of all when we look at the dreaded end. So David, this loving father, admonishes his son, no doubt from his own personal experience of failure, to keep his eyes from straying from the right path. Abraham. Abraham was the friend of God because he walked by faith. And here's what Hebrews tells us. It's the verses on the screen there that he walked looking forward to the city whose architect and builder is God. You see? Abraham had his eyes set far out into eternity. Moses was used by God to lead the people of God out of Egypt to the doorstep of the promised land because Hebrews 11.26 tells us, and it's here on the screen, he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be far greater than than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. You want to stay on the right path? Look to the reward at the end. Look, keep your eyes out toward eternity, toward the reward of what God will give to those who love him. Paul kept his eyes forward and upward and onward. He said, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. His eyes, he focused ahead, forward. He kept his eyes on the prize. Here's the the deal. You get to choose what you give your attention to. We do. We choose to give our attention We choose to pay attention. Your gaze can be fixed. Your gaze can be fixed on Christ, but you must fix it. I must fix my gaze. Let me ask you a sincere question. What has your attention these days? 
Is it a relationship? Is it a career? A house? An enjoyable pastime? Is it a a person who is leading you somewhere you really don't want to go or a person who's leading you somewhere where you really do want to go? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it your faith? Is it an achievement, achievement you're hoping to accomplish soon? What has your attention these days? The second question, what do you want to have your attention? If you could fix your gaze on only one thing, what would it be? You know, some drift away from the faith and wonder why it happened. You'll come across this in social media, even pastors who deconstructing, they've given up their faith, they've walked away from the faith, and everybody wonders, why? How did that happen? Well, it happened because they fixed their gaze and followed after something other than God. That's how it happens. They wound up drifting away from God. They got their eyes elsewhere. Jesus said, if you look back, if you look around, you're liable to go on a detour. He says, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So the wise have learned to look straight ahead, to view the world through the eyes of wisdom, to view the world through the lens of what is right, not through the lens of folly. Thank God he's given us his Holy Spirit, right? Amen. He's given us a helper that lives within us, whose presence and power empowers us, fills us, and and how desperate we are for him to help us, to, to keep our attention on Christ. And I really believe that when we look to him and when we lean on him and yield ourselves to him, that, that God graciously bestows on us everything we need to stay on the right path. So yes, we choose where we will fix our gaze, but when we choose to fix our gaze on Christ, the Holy Spirit, God, will enable us and help us through his spirit to walk on that path. As long as we keep our eyes fixed on heavenly truth, Satan has no advantage over us. The best decision you can make is to follow Jesus. Don't swerve to the left. Don't go to the right. Don't let your eyes wander. Don't let your heart or your attention be captured by lesser things. Learn to fix your eyes on Jesus. You have the choice. And I have the choice. I can follow Jesus or I can follow something else. And we all know that wanting to steward our attention and doing it are different things, right? Two different things. We can let our attention be grabbed by something that feels good in the moment, or we can give our attention to the one who will direct us all the days of our life. So your guard, guard your heart, your gaze, fix your eyes on Christ. Third, your goings, your goings. Here's the the truth here. What captures your attention influences your direction. Think about that. What captures your attention influences your direction. If you're distracted, if you're texting and walking, let's say, you may very well walk right into danger. Remember learning to ride a bike. For some of us, this has been a little while. 
uh, I taught all of my kids to, to ride a bike. And one of the things I had to teach them, and I kind of learned this by experience as you're teaching your kids, that, that I had to teach them, keep your eyes in front of you, right? When you're just learning to ride a bike, you shouldn't be, you know, doing this, looking over, you know, hey, Dad, look at me. Because what happens when you do that? All right? It, you start going off, you start veering off course. And, and I would take my kids to the park, you know, or a big parking lot, usually like a grassy field where if they fall and skin, you know, they're not going to skin themselves all up. So in a, in a big field, it wasn't a big deal. But when you take them out when they first learning to ride on the sidewalk, dads, can you remember that? Oh, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. My heart's just beating like, like crazy. Like there's a sidewalk and there's a road and there's traffic coming by. Like keep your eyes straight ahead. Don't be looking off to the, keep your eyes focused ahead. What captures your attention influences your direction. As your attention goes, so goes your life. Someone's put it this way. Outlook determines outcome. And David instructs his son, verse 26, Carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Establish your feet. Excuse me, keep your feet away from evil. What's he saying? He's saying, son, watch where you're going. Make sure you're going in the right direction, then keep going in that direction. Years ago, I, uh, Cindy and I took some teens on a hike when we were working with youth, and we all started out together, but as we climbed that mountain trail, some began lagging behind. You, you know how that works, right? And uh, in doing so, they lost sight of the group, the leader, you know, where we were going, and, and one particular girl uh, took the wrong trail, got on the wrong path, and at some point, you know, just got lost. I'm not sure, maybe Ruthie is still up on that, on that mountain. Um, she's not. It was a joke. I heard from her dad some time ago, sent me an email, and, and she's fine. She's fine. But, man, it scared the living daylights out of, out of me there. What happened? Well, they weren't watching where they're going. They were, their eyes weren't forward. They weren't following who was in front of them. Let's just look at what David says here, phrase by phrase, and we'll be done. He says, carefully consider your path, the path of your feet. Would you do that? Could we do that? Could we think for a moment and carefully consider which path we're taking? Am I on the right path? Or I, am I on the wrong path? Am I on the path of righteousness or am I skirting over into the way of the wicked? If it's the path that leads to becoming more like Christ, it's the right path. If it's a, a uh, the path that leads you away from Christ, away from godliness, away from spirit-filled living, it's the wrong path. It's the wrong path. He then says, let all your ways be established. That word established there, the Hebrew word, could also be translated reliable. Some have translated this phrase, stay on the safe path. Take only ways that are firm, right? Get that picture. It's this firm path that can be traveled. Some years ago, I, I went on a Jeep trip. Uh, Jonathan went with me with about 40 other guys. We went up to Crown King, and I think Anthony just did that recently, and, and uh, the back way, you know, the back way. If you've ever done that, it's, it's a little sketchy in places. If you, you have to have the right kind of a vehicle to even make that trip. Well, one of the vehicles that was driven by a young man, and there were three others, his dad, and, 
and uh, two other men from the church <coughs> were in this vehicle, and they were out in front somewhere, and they ended up getting on the wrong, taking the wrong path. And this path wasn't even meant for vehicles of this size. They were meant, it was like a bike trail. It turned out to be like a foot, almost like a foot trail. And the thing is it climbed the side of this mountain. It narrowed basically to nothing, just to nothing. And it was loose, the, and that vehicle just began to slip and tumble down into the ravine and landed on the top, and those four guys were killed um, that day. This was like just a couple days before Thanksgiving. I'll, I'll never forget that. You see, the path wasn't firm. It wasn't an established route. The idea here is that wherever you go in life, let all your goings be on the right path, the path of wisdom. This is the established route. This is the right way. Then he says, don't turn to the right or to the left with all the distractions. Don't go chasing after something that catches your eye. Fix your gaze on Jesus and keep going on the path of his will. And then finally he says, keep your feet away from evil, right? Don't go there. Don't go there. Be like Joseph who puts his, his running shoes on when temptation came knocking at his door. Every wise person will conclude that the best way to live is the way which God has made for us. Right? I look around the room. We've been, many of us, we've been walking this path long enough to know that. The best way is God's way. It's the best way. He knows us. He made us. He, he made us for a, a purpose. He knows, right, the beginning from the end. He knows the means by which we can arrive at the end. That's the best, best way to go. That's the best way to walk. And so tonight, let's look where you're going. Look where you're going. Where are you going? Have you fixed your eyes on? What have you fixed your eyes? What have you, are you distracted? Are you focused on Christ? If your heart has grown cold and, and indifferent, then it's likely other things are catching your eye and you're headed down the wrong path. Well, the step for tonight is simply to put down the distractions and look to where you are going. Lock your eyes on Jesus Christ. May that be our prayer tonight.